0: you're listening to the Healing Birth with Carla podcast and I'm your host, Carla Sargent. For the past decade I've been working in the field of birth trauma support and education, utilising my background in midwifery and teaching and putting my passion for story sharing to good use. This podcast seeks to dispel common myths surrounding birth trauma and what it takes to heal. Each week we'll be spending an insightful and inspiring hour together listening to the stories of people who have journeyed from trauma to healing, and discussing the insights of birthkeepers who support others to heal. Whether you're new to the world of birth, a long-time parent, or someone who has an insatiable appetite for all things birth-related, this podcast offers hope and love, guidance and peace, as together we explore how healing our earth begins with healing birth. But before we grace your ears with today's episode, I'm going to take this opportunity to say that if you're inspired to heal with me, or to train with me, or if you have a healing story that you'd like to share on my podcast, reach out to me via my website healingbirth.co.nz. Kate's story is a bit of a different one to those that are typically shared on here, not because she didn't have a traumatic first birth, she did. And not because she didn't have a healing next-birth experience, she did. But Kate's second birth went nothing like the peaceful home birth she had hoped for and dreamed about. Thankfully, the self-work and birth preparation that she did during her second pregnancy, part of which involved us working together, meant that Kate continued to experience her birth as empowering, even when it appeared to be heading down the same harrowing path as her first. This is such an important story to be sharing. Kate was empowered to fully own her birth experience and she shares about the multitude of things she did to ensure that her medicalized birth was a positive and healing one. She also opens up about how her births led her down the path of training with me to become a Certified Healing Birth Practitioner, something that has been a life altering experience for her. So it's a bit of a long episode, but definitely a worthwhile listen. Enjoy. Welcome, Kate. It's so awesome to have you on the podcast. Um, I just would like to share with the listeners a little bit about um, how it is that you came to be sitting here with me today doing this podcast interview. Um, So we have a bit of a, a Family history. Um, my ex-husband, you're his cousin, so I kind of know you from a while back. And, um, you know, you're I knew that you were a social worker. Uh, and you became a mum in the time that we've known each other. And um and I know that after your your first birth experience, there was some stuff that came up for you. Uh you reached out to me in and, and this role as a, you know, a birth trauma support worker um and we kind of did a little bit of work together um and then you gave birth to your second child uh who's now two and a half um and i just recently you got in touch with me and said you were really interested in doing my healing birth practitioner training uh which lit me up no end because um because i love you and, <laughs> and because anybody who's enthusiastic about this work I'm like yeah you know awesome we need more people out there doing doing this stuff and just knowing your personality I knew you'd be amazing in this role um so part of that healing birth practitioner training is we weekly uh, for the 10 weeks of the course um, get together on a Zoom call on a Thursday evening and have these, what I call an interactive Zoom where the group all sort of shares their learnings from the week or shares about their own personal experiences or asks questions. Um, And near the end of the course, it it was fitting, I can't remember the, the, um, the conversation topic, but you shared about your second birth experience which didn't go as you had planned for um but was nonetheless a, a, you know a um a healing experience to some degree at least and you're gonna share with us today about this so i don't want to put words in your mouth um But what the feedback you got from the group was like, wow, you know, (laughs) this is epic, and more people need to hear this story. Like, um, and and it was like, Yeah, will you do a podcast interview, you know, on your story with you know, with me, Kate? And um, you were like, Yes, yeah, I will. So that's how you came to be here today doing this uh interview. And I'm so grateful because yours is a bit of a unique story, and we haven't had this sort of story on the podcast yet so I'm super excited I'm not going to give any more away um you know I'm going to let you share your stories um and so to that end let's start off with hearing about your first birth experience uh, and what led to that kind of being a a somewhat traumatic experience for you
1: yes okay well firstly thank you for having me here I am super Um, excited to let your listeners know, yeah, kind of what went on um, for me. So when I think back to my first birth, I think the overall um, traumatic experience probably started during the pregnancy with a feeling of like lack of control. Um, I had some health issues, which made the pregnancy... um, kind of not as enjoyable as I thought it would be and I ended up kind of in and out of the hospital a few times and I think that started my mindset of not trusting my body and um, I guess listening to lots of other people's suggestions and advice about what I should be doing or not doing or kind of forward planning for for the birth. Um, And before becoming pregnant, I really wanted to explore the idea of a home birth. That was something that just sat really nicely with me. My mum had had a home birth for one of, um, for my sister. And that was, yeah, just kind of something in my mind that I thought, yeah, I think this is, this is something that I want to do. But very quickly I was told things like, oh, it's your first baby. What if something goes wrong? Uh, There's no need to have a home birth because you live so close to the hospital. And, you know, birthing at home is le- less safe than birthing in a hospital. Um, and I guess I wanted to please and to respect the opinions of the people in my life that cared about me, and they did have my best interests at heart. Um, so I regretfully now kind of dismissed that uh, home birth idea, and I kind of looked at how I could make a hospital birth work. Um, And kind of meet some of those needs. Um, And I was determined to have kind of a natural and a um, minimal intervention birth. Um, And I guess we kind of felt reasonably supported by the midwife. So that's kind of the path we ended up kind of going down. Um, Then throughout the pregnancy, the term big baby was thrown around a lot and I guess kind of created doubt that maybe i wouldn't be able to birth mila naturally because of my small size and her kind of you know looking like she was going to be be big um, along with low fluid which was you know kind of my midwife thought we we had you know not enough fluid um so in the third trimester i think i was kind of felt quite pressured into getting a late scan um which we did and then to learn that actually there was plenty of fluid in there everything was fine um but they did think she was measuring in that in the top kind of centile for her size um so then there was more kind of doubt and more worry about like are you going to be able to birth her and you know so on um so in the last weeks of the pregnancy, I was advised to have a sweep to kind of get things moving along. um, And as a way of hopefully not needing an induction or going overdue because of this big baby. Um, And that was a horrible experience. (laughs) And I then was advised to have another one a few days later. And I was just like, no, like I'm not doing that again. That was awful. Um, and that we would just kind of wait and let things happen. Uh, so at just over 40 weeks, I went into labor and I was really excited. I kind of had my whole plan thought out and my bags were packed, had my essential oils and the music, my soft lamps, had my own bedding all ready to go kind of to try and make the hospital setting feel kind of more safe and more kind of homely. Um, for us and my husband and my sister were my support people and I was feeling quite good, I was ready to meet our baby. Um, so we stayed at home for quite a while, kind of rode out the contractions through the night and into the next day and then I I thought things were moving along, the contractions were closer together, they were kind of building in intensity and um, so the midwife, which we were kind of guided by the midwife at this stage, suggested meeting her in hospital once we'd kind of got to 24 hours of of labouring. So we ended up going up there and I don't really feel very safe in hospitals. I don't like hospitals. It wouldn't be a place that I would kind of want to, want to be, I guess, um, but I... I thought that it was the right place to be and that the professionals there would have my best interest at heart and have Mila's best interest at heart. So I trusted, I trusted them. Um, I was examined by a hospital midwife and told that I was two centimetres dilated. And to be told that I was only two centimetres after labouring for 24 hours, I thought, what? Like, this is not this is not right, surely, like, it can't be two centimetres, like, are you sure, Um, and now I just wish that we had stayed at home longer, but we were kind of up there, we were checked in, um, and, yeah, we just kind of went with what was kind of happening up there, and I still, I still trusted myself, um, and, you know, had this mindset that I can do it, like, it's okay that I'm in the hospital like I've I've got this Um, and so I guess we stayed up there for probably another 12 hours kind of contracting on and off and then my midwife uh, came in the next morning and told me that I was three centimeters (laughs) and I just burst into tears because I'd been working hard all night and I guess I just expected myself to be further along and then being told that I was Um, yeah I was really disappointed and I felt like I was failing and those words failure to progress were you know all around from all those professionals and so I kind of took that on board and believed that okay I'm not doing something right or something's going wrong with my body um and because I hadn't eaten or slept for about two days um the midwife kind of said like you're going to need some help or you'll end up with a cesarean um, and i was really adamant that i wasn't having a cesarean i was having a natural birth and so reluctantly i and trustingly i guess of her i agreed to have my waters broken to try and you know kind of speed speed things along um and then that didn't that didn't work either um so I think this must have been Sunday, by Sunday afternoon, the hospital midwives and doctors were recommending the syntocin and drip and epidural, um, but also still kind of telling me, oh, yeah, you, there's a good chance that you can still deliver your baby naturally. And I guess not having any knowledge, not asking any more questions, I still really believed that I had a good shot of, of doing that. Um So I said to them, oh, let's just wait. Let's just wait a little bit longer. Um, Give me a few more hours. I want to try and keep going. I was managing the pain okay. Um, And so we went for a few more hours and then they kind of checked back in. Um, And then my midwife came back in and told me that I was being stubborn um, and that I either needed to go for a caesarean now or to try the epidural and the drip. Um, and I just remember feeling that those were the only options that I that I had. Um, so I said to her, okay, can I just have one more hour of trying? I just want to give this one last go before I kind of give in, I guess, to these interventions. Um and so she left and then she never came back. She didn't communicate with us that she was kind of at her time limit of working, that she had been working for so many hours and that she needed to kind of go home and have a break and that, the, that our backup midwife would now take over my care. Um, we hadn't been able to meet the backup midwife, um, so it was the first time meeting her. Um, and thankfully she was a godsend she was absolutely amazing and we actually then ended up having her as our lmc for for our second um baby but she listened to us she came in and she was like what can i do for you like how can i help um so she got me up off the bed we started moving around she used one of those kind of boba wraps to um take the pressure off we used yeah different positioning um She asked if we wanted to try some homeopathy um, and try and kind of turn the baby a little bit to reposition her, I guess. Um, So we tried this for a few more hours and then the hospital staff came in and the pressure was really on because we'd been going at this a long time Um, and I was shattered. I was tired. I was exhausted physically mentally kind of a whole lot even my support team were tired just from being awake and kind of being there um so i agreed i agreed to, to try the syntocin and the epidural they were only offered together we couldn't just have the syntocin um by itself so we ended up uh having those and the getting the epidural on board was then another big drama in itself he couldn't um the anaesthetist couldn't get the needle in he had to go in and out in and out like multiple times and then I ended up having a far bigger dose of the spinal block than I needed to and so I was numb all the way kind of up to my neck (laughs) um and yeah it was it was horrible um the next kind of six hours, I think, are a bit of a blur. Um, I think I did manage to kind of doze on and off um, on the bed while being strapped to the machine. Um, I couldn't feel anything, but, you know, the, I was kind of having these contractions apparently every kind of three to four minutes. Um, but there was a bit of a lack of staff on the maternity ward at the time, which I think is probably quite normal for um you know a lot of um, maternity centers and the continuity of care was really intermittent as well and so my my catheter check got missed um and then we later found out that it wasn't inserted properly and then resulted in my bladder being stretched about three or four times past its kind of capacity and i was obviously on the drip for the fluid but then Nothing was coming out. All the fluid was just kind of stayed um, inside me, which then kind of caused some bladder issues kind of later down the track. Um, Then early Monday morning, we were all kind of woken up suddenly by these alarms on the monitor going off. People rushed into the room um, and Mila's heart rate was dropping, going down, kind of coming back up. the the head doctor kind of came in very staunch and very kind of aggressively and was like look the labor is not progressing um you're putting your baby in danger and you haven't even got to six centimeters on the you know with the epidural like this is just not working you can't do it Um, you've got to go for a cesarean now or your baby's going to die um So, you know, the forms were then kind of shoved under my face like sign this, sign this. There was absolutely no way I could read it, take in any of the information um, or I guess consent to what was going to happen. I was just in the bed. My husband was getting changed into his, you know, the surgical clothes and literally being ran down the hallway just in the middle of people and visitors. And it was... Yeah, I just a really horrible, um, a horrible experience really. Just that whole transferring from the ward down to the down to the theatre is quite a long way away here. Um, and I was scared. I was really scared. I didn't think about this as an as an outcome that was going to happen in my birth. I never contemplated needing a cesarean. I was, I guess, a bit headstrong that like oh, I'm delivering my baby naturally and that's that and so I hadn't thought through the possibility of what that would look like if it was going to happen um, there was no time for explanations from the staff I was just kind of strapped down to the bed and told to like stay calm which <laughs> okay <laughs> um, I then had a reaction to one of the medications that they That they give before doing the cesarean which then made me feel like I was even more out of control Um, and I felt like I was living my worst nightmare I was yeah just it was awful and then my big baby girl was lifted out of me Um, she was fine she was absolutely perfect there was no worries about her heart rate she was not in distress um but they did kind of whisk her away to the table, checked her, um, and then gave her to my husband for skin to skin. I didn't hold her. I didn't know that I was kind of able to have her up on my chest. I just kind of, I was very out of it actually, um, and yeah, not really sure kind of what was happening. He was then told to sit outside the the theatre, just in a chair with her, um, and then kind of wait for me to go into post op. Um, I spent the next five days in hospital with very little recollection of time or events that kind of happened and even now those memories are still quite fragmented and I just wonder what did I do up there for five days like I have not very yeah clear kind of um, thoughts as to kind of like what happened (laughs) Um, which I now know was my trauma response um, to that and I was very kind of blocked out from um, what was happening and I think despite me being someone who really takes um, pharmaceutical medication you know at the best of times I was literally just drugged up to my eyeballs and I was happy to be um, to be like that I was yeah, I was quite disconnected, I think, from from what was going on. Um, my milk was very slow to come in, and then the feeding journey also kind of started traumatically and excruciatingly. Um, both nipples were damaged, and we, yeah, had a real um, battle to kind of get that latch sorted and um, establish breastfeeding. Um, and at the time i felt like i was a failure and that i wasn't good enough and that i couldn't feed my child and provide her you know with the the nourishment she needed um but we did persevere and we we ended up happily feeding until she was nearly 2 um which was yeah a good kind of outcome from that but i think that was kind of my my pregnancy my birth the the start of Um, yeah the start of parenthood for me was not not great and um yeah that was that was Mila's birth story yeah
0: yeah at what stage in the piece did you kind of realize or really kind of sink into the uh, to the to the knowledge that what you went through actually wasn't okay and uh, and did deserve some some processing, some healing, some um, support to kind of work through what you'd gone through.
1: Yeah, I think um, looking back now, and that's you know easy easy to do, um, all the signs of responding to a traumatic event were there. but it took me months actually probably close to a year, to admit that what I had gone through was was not okay. That when my sweet wee girl was first kind of put on my chest, that I felt nothing. I didn't want to be there, um, but I couldn't imagine myself going home either. I just, I wanted my old life back, and yeah, I felt completely disconnected from myself and from reality. Um This moment that I had built up in my head of getting these overwhelming um, kind of loved up feelings of meeting my baby for the first time they didn't happen and I thought that something was was wrong with me like I had wanted to be a mum forever and this had happened and I was like oh no like take me back I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore And I think I would often think about the birth and then get consumed by the feelings and what had happened. And I would get teary all the time, um, even kind of six to 12 months on and do a lot of this like what if and like why didn't I do this and if I had done it another way or if I had said this. Um, And I would get stuck in that thought pattern um, for a long, yeah, a long time. Um, I also found it really hard to communicate and to connect with some of the closest people in my life. I would avoid phone calls and I would wait to message my sister back and my closest friends um, for days because I felt like I would crumble if I had to talk about anything to do with the birth or anything about Mila or how I was coping. Mm -hmm. Um, so when my husband and I decided to start trying for a second child I was terrified of having this birth experience again and I knew that I had to do some healing and some processing Um, otherwise I would end up in the same place if not a worse kind of place and so um that was the moment that i was like no nah, like i've got to i've got to do something i'm going to you know invest some time and energy into um healing myself and creating a better headspace before um yeah the second baby came came along
0: mm-hmm. and what did that look like for you what did okay so you you'd had this recognition that you needed to do some healing work What did that look like? What did that processing and healing journey um, involve for you? And what sort of preparation did you do in the lead up to Remy's birth? Um,
1: Well, first I had a session with you. And thank goodness I did that because that propelled me um, into the healing and into accepting what had happened and then let me plan for um, a more positive pregnancy and and for a more positive birth.
0: A quick interruption from me. Are you listening to this podcast as someone who is still holding trauma from a troubling birth experience? Perhaps you're still feeling a sense of failure and self-doubt. You're possibly holding on to guilt or shame surrounding your birth. Maybe you're struggling to bond with your baby. Or maybe your relationship with your partner is still being negatively impacted. And chances are you are fearful of what another birth experience might look like for you. Please know that you are worthy of the healing that is available to you. I offer one-to-one Unraveling Your Trauma sessions, as well as planning for a healing birth sessions, to people all over the world. Having done this work for almost a decade, I have developed a transformative formula for helping women to heal from their birth trauma. Contact me via my website or social media pages that I've linked in the show notes if you want to find out more about healing with me. Also, if you're pregnant, you might be interested in my online holistic pregnancy and postpartum preparation course called Soulful Birth. It's an eight-week series that I deliver via Zoom. Whether you're a first-time mum or you've experienced a birth where you were denied autonomy over your experience, know that this pregnancy is the opportunity for you to realise your power, to take the responsibility of motherhood into your hands, to make the informed decisions that are right for you as determined by you, to be guided in the vital self-work to remove blocks to accessing your inner wisdom, to set yourself up for a positive postpartum experience, and to heal birth wounds. Despite what our medicalized maternity system and mainstream antenatal ed- education would have you believe, birth is a sacred rite of passage. Be guided in a deeper understanding of what this means and how to set yourself up for the birth experience you deserve. Again, check the show notes for a link to Soulful Birth.
1: So, yeah, some of the suggestions that we kind of talked about um, together, I did a lot of, um, like, self-reflection, journaling, writing down my story and what had happened and letting myself talk to people in my family about what had happened and being okay with... um, sharing those vulnerable parts and all those kind of pieces, which I I don't think I had really done that before. Like all of them knew snippets of information, but I think um, we kind of tend to censor out some of that stuff, not wanting them to worry or to kind of relive the, the experience as well. And so I did a lot of that. Um, and yeah, really just focused on what what we wanted this next um, pregnancy and birth to look like, or what we what we didn't want it to to look like. Obviously, there's still all the the unknown factors. Um, but yeah, worked really hard in creating a space where there was less fear and and less um, doubt. And we chose the most amazing supportive midwife this time, um, who had been with us at the end of the the birth for Mila um, and she completely had our back. She didn't push for interventions and she presented us with all of the options so we could make um, informed choices. And I think I I credit a lot of my healing experience to having her um, with us and that she really saw me and she heard me and she genuinely cared for our family. And I think that um, opened up that safe um, safe space for us to then kind of go into this birth um, with a different mindset.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, safety is key, right? And um, yeah, when you were sharing before about this, the that you opened up to your family more vulnerably uh, around um, what Miller's birth experience had been for, like for you. Uh, you said, you know, there had been a lot of hesitation around doing that because you worry about what it will bring up for them and and whatnot. I would also add to that, um, and this may not have been the case for you, uh, but it's certainly the case for a lot of people I work with, is that there's a fear of expressing what the experience was for you because there's so much shame associated with the experience. There's so much self-doubt. You talked about, you know, the ruminations after Miller's birth of like, you know, what if I'd made different decisions? What if I'd done things differently? You know, those sorts of things are really, really common. We, we blame ourselves. We, uh, we fault, we believe the fault is with ourselves when we have these traumatic birth experiences. And um, that shame uh, means that we it is extra vulnerable to open up and share about what the experience was for us. Um, and part of what um, usually is, is not resolved, but expressed in those healing birth sessions that I do um, with people is is that unpacking of your story and helping you to see that you were making the best de- decisions you could um, based on the information and support that you had available to you at the time? That this is, wasn't your fault. That you know, and it's that changing that narrative from um, "I was a failure, um, I let myself down, I'm too ashamed to share about what happened or how I felt about it" because um, you know that would be admitting to what a failure I am uh and also I'm you know in a culture that says just be grateful you know and I know it could have been worse and who am I to like you know so we in and doing that session together um sometimes uh, you know some of that that self-doubt, that self-blame is removed. In fact, I would say oftentimes it's, it's you know, it's largely kind of shifted. Um, and that can also help with opening up those vulnerable conversations with saying, this is what the experience was for me. And it's so important to know that your support team, your midwife, but also your partner and, you know, whoever else you might um, be inviting into your birth space, that they understand what that experience was for you, that they understand what you need in order to feel safe and seen and supported in your next birth experience. And that safety is everything when it comes to being able to have the sort of birth experience that you need and deserve and are capable of having. Um. So, so yeah and that you were able to to share that with your family and what were some of the things that you knew you needed in this next birth experience in order to um to 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 feel that safety to feel um, supported in the way you needed
1: um i think for well yeah actually what just going back to what you said you're a hundred percent right like that that was how it kind of played out for me. Um, just having someone listen to me and say it wasn't your fault. It you know these things kind of happened to you, and that you didn't, um, you know, you didn't want this outcome. Um, it wasn't because of anything you did or didn't do. It just you know that um, kind of being reassured uh yeah let me remove some of that blame um that i had been carrying and the guilt um and yeah the power of being able to talk talk that through is so huge um and that was a really key key part in kind of offloading and i guess preparing my mind for a different outcome um this time and so not having a specific birth plan or a specific idea in my head about how this was going to go was one of um the big things that that I was kind of leaning into because for Mila I was just adamant that there was one way I was going to give birth to her and I had not contemplated or considered any other option because that was not going to be my story. Um, And then when that ended up being kind of our story, I wasn't um, prepared for any of those outcomes. So this time I wasn't so fixed in my thinking around what was going to happen and kind of, yeah, just leaning into Things will happen as they happen, and um, you know I can be prepared with what I would like if if this is the scenario. And then if if that doesn't happen, then what's my kind of you know backup idea? And um, yeah, that was that was really key in kind of um, yeah setting myself up for his birth. We decided that we wanted to try for a home birth that being at home was where I felt um was where I, I felt safest and um just kind of filling that space with positive affirmations that we had kind of put up on on the walls and um we took away the clocks so I wasn't so kind of fixated on how long I'd been going um you know through the process and um yeah, I had some good, really good food kind of prepared and ready and snacks. And I just, yeah, I'd done done a lot of the kind of emotional kind of healing work, I think, as, you know, as kind of as far as I, I could, but then yeah, those small kind of practical things just to get my space ready and um, to leave it open to what was gonna what was gonna happen during during the birth.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah it's always something that I talk about um, when I work with people um, when they're preparing for their next birth experience is uh, you know like talk about what your ideal birth plan is I like talk about you know dream big and and uh, discuss that with your support team and how they um, can support you to um, to hopefully have that experience but also like Make plans for the what ifs. Like you've had a previous caesarean. Um, and you know, sometimes a cesarean is the um is is the path that you're gonna end up going down. And if that's the case again this time, what would support you in that scenario from your your team to feel most empowered and respected and seen uh, etc so I talk about the importance of kind of making more than one birthday. wow what
1: was that sorry yeah that was I was trying to shield that noise that was a ah. motorbike just
0: honing up the side <laughs> street sorry <laughs> <laughs> Um. yeah so making multiple sort of birth plans I guess or discussing at least thinking about what would be important to you and sharing that with your team is um, is a really important part of well a if that scenario uh, plays out then, yeah, your team know how to support you in that, Um, but B, it's also about dealing with the fears that we have in the lead up to our next birth, and fear is is a natural consequence, right, of having had a previously traumatic experience, of course you are going to go into this next birth experience with some degree of fear, but getting as much perspective around that fear as possible is really helpful, and so we usually have these ruminations, these things that are going over and over in our minds and the lead up to our next births um, that are those what if questions. What if, what if I end up having another, you know, three day labor? What if um, the baby gets distressed again? What if I have to have another cesarean? And so I, I talk about the importance of like, yeah, like, share those what-ifs with your midwife, with your team, and um, and make a plan for them. Make a plan. Because once you've made that plan, they stop being what-ifs because there is an answer to that question. Uh, so if this happens, then my team knows that this is what's important to me. And sure, I might change my mind at a time or whatever, but it just helps to then shift the focus off the stuff that you're fearful about And be able to create some more space um, uh, for you to, to, you know, to plan for that that, that ideal birth or to focus your energy on things going well. Um, And and that can be helpful for some people. But anyway, let's get back to hearing about about your story of of Remy's birth.
1: Yes, so we... We went into Remy's birth, I guess, with our eyes wide open. And yeah, I tried to kind of lower my expectations and and my, um, these kind of fixed ideas on on what was going to happen. And we just, I was going to try my very best to just kind of let him into the world, however that was going to happen. So I went into labor just, just before 40 weeks. um, And I did feel, it felt different. I felt calmer. I felt more in control this time. Um, So we, yeah, we labored at home for the afternoon, uh, all into the night. And I think early hours of the, the morning, I kind of felt the intensity um, of the contractions kind of really ramp up um, and the speed that they were kind of coming through and the pain. Um, So we had kind of been in touch with our midwife and she just said, yep, just keep me updated and, you know, call me when you want me to come around. Um, So yeah, early that next morning, she came over and she actually used um, pressure points on my ankles to determine how far along I was um, instead of trying to do a a vaginal examination. And I remember her saying, let's just leave the examination for now. Um, You're all good. Just keep going and bring me back in a few hours. And looking back now, I know she was was trying to protect me from starting to kind of panic again, because um, I think we must have been about kind of 18, 20 hours in to the labour, and I had hardly dilated, um, which, you know, kind of very similar to to Mila's birth, but she knew about this, and we had done a lot of unpacking of Mila's birth, um, you know, during our antenatal sessions, and so I love that she kind of didn't even tell me how many centimetres I was. She was like, no, no, we're just not even going to do that, just keep going, Um, and yeah, later in the day she came back and together we tried all sorts of positions. We were stretching, I was upside down, we were doing kind of spinning baby um, poses. She had me back bent on the couch with one leg in the air and we were just, we were trying, um, all three of us to kind of, um, yeah, I guess just change his position and maybe kind of get some more consistency in his um, kind of downward kind of path. Um, And the contractions were coming thick and fast. They were kind of every like two to three minutes. And um, they were really intense in my back and in my hips. Um, And I was exhausted and the fear was creeping in because this felt like the same scenario that... Um, we had with Mila, and I think I just got to a point where I didn't think I could do it anymore. And I, yeah, I just I wanted a cesarean. I um, the the midwife got on the phone with the on call obstetrician, and she, um, I can still kind of see her now <laughs> walking up and down our our corridor, kind of advocating for me to come in for a a non-planned but non-emergency caesarean. So normal procedure would have seen me come into the hospital and then try with the syntocin and the epidural first before kind of, I guess, electing to have um, a caesarean. But um, I already kind of knew the likely outcome of, of being hooked up to that syntocinin and having the epidural and um, the chance of ending up with another emergency caesarean um, anyway. And that was just something that I didn't want to do this time. Um, I felt really good that I had given it a really good go, that we had extensively tried all these um, things to kind of uh, get that labor more established and and change his position and it just, it, it wasn't working. Um, so the obstetrician agreed to that and we uh, met her up at the hospital about an hour later and interestingly, as soon as that decision was made, the contraction slowed right down. Like they were every two minutes and they were so painful and as soon as we got off the phone, It was like one contraction every 15 minutes and I could just breathe through it like they just yeah I don't know whether that was kind of the fear response um or what that was but yeah as soon as that decision was made it was like I wasn't even in labor um anymore um and so we met with the obstetrician at the hospital and I talked through my uh cesarean birth plan that if we were to end up you know, kind of not at home with a home birth, that um, this is what I wanted. And she agreed to facilitate um, all of our wishes. Uh, So going into the cesarean this time, I was nowhere near as scared. Um, I didn't feel so blindsided by the process. Um, So both the midwife and my husband were with me and I've felt in control and I felt supported this time, which is a complete kind of contrast from from Mila's birth. Um, so when they made the incision, they held it open and then they let Remy do his thing. They didn't rush in to get him out and he was able to kind of wiggle around and to take his time and gently kind of get his head out himself and, um, and my midwife talked me through this as he was kind of coming out, and then um, kind of talked me through some like breathing exercises um, as the muscles were kind of naturally um, expanding and contracting. And so um, I felt like I was able to breathe him, breathe him out a little bit, like I, you know, like I would have done had I had a vaginal birth. Um, and they lowered the curtain at that stage so I could um see him and like AJ kind of held my held my neck and my chest up so I could kind of watch him um coming out which was really lovely um they then performed the the neonatal checks on him while he was lying on my leg instead of taking him kind of away to the table um and this then also allowed the cord to stay intact for for much longer. They didn't have to kind of clamp it and then like remove him. And after the cord was clamped, he came straight up onto my chest instead of kind of going to the support person, which, um, which is what we want because you know we all know the benefits of that skin to skin. Um, and then my husband just kind of held him, held him um, on on me the whole time. Um. I opted not to have the antibiotics until he was out of me because they routinely are just, you're given the antibiotics before you go into the surgery and then this can cross over kind of into the baby. So that for me was something that I wasn't happy with and something that I'd kind of researched beforehand. And um, yeah, the obstetrician was fine with that. They just pushed it through once he was once he was out. Um I also did uh, vaginal seeding before we went into the theatre. So then once he was on me having skin to skin, the midwife just came over and kind of wiped his face um, with the swabs to transfer that bacteria to um,
0: to him. I'm just going to interrupt you super, super quickly here because I know that a lot of listeners will have heard you mentioned, um, you know, this this. Um, microbiome seeding or vaginal seeding I can't remember what you referred to it as just then Um, and be like what's that Uh, because a lot of people don't know about about this but um, so cesarean born babies that are not coming through the vagina are not being introduced to all the um, the bacteria the you know the microbes that are naturally in the mother's vagina at the time of birth and the baby gets these microbes um, into its own body as it's coming through through the vagina, through its mouth and nose and eyes and, and whatnot and skin and, um, and this is what is an important part of the development of the baby's gut microbiome. They have a sterile gut when they, before they are born, but with the introduction of these microbes that um, that they take on board during birth um, that sets up a healthy gut you know microbial system um, and we now know a lot more about the importance of the gut microbiome in terms of uh, the production of you know um, a healthy immune system um, in terms of you know a healthy digestive system in terms of um, being able to, even even a healthy like um, mental health system like we know as adults that you know uh, your gut microbes can really influence your your mental well-being um, so has, it has really significant consequences and of course babies that are born by caesarean are bypassing that process so uh, and research has demonstrated that um, babies who are born by caesarean do have higher rates of um, autoimmune disorders. They have higher rates of hospitalisation, you know, when they're little. And uh, there is these very real consequences of not being exposed to the mother's microbiome at the time of birth. So... Microbiome seeding. What you what you're referring to here is where a swab is put into your vagina um, prior to your baby being born by cesarean, and then it's removed, taken out, and the baby is swabbed um, with that, uh, you know, with that swab, um, their face and and nose and and eyes, etc., so that they are getting some exposure to your microbes and able to start this um yeah microbiome seeding back to where you were <laughs> to Introduce. I mean interrupt
1: <laughs> well yeah it's a it's if you don't know about it you don't kind of know that it might be an option for you so um yeah I before kind of having having Remy I did so much research into kind of um I guess like alternative cesareans or gentle cesareans, you know these other things that um that I could, yeah, kind of bring into my plan that I, that I wanted. And that was, um, definitely one of them because I have autoimmune issues and my daughter, um, she has allergies and autoimmune issues. So, um, exposing Remy to as much of the, yeah, kind of normal bacteria, um, that he would have had, you know, had he have come through the birth canal was really important. So, um, yeah, the, the team were happy to kind of let that happen alongside the the cesarean, which was really um, awesome. Um, and my husband stayed with us the whole time um, in the theatre. I think usually once the baby's out, they kind of... the support person is meant to leave and kind of take the baby, you know, with them and then kind of wait out there, which I, I don't understand. Like, he's already been in there this whole time. Um, why what would be the need for him to kind of now wait outside so I just said actually I don't I don't want that I don't want him to leave I don't want my baby to leave we're all staying together um and we did so that was that was great we just stayed together and then we all went up into you know post-op um together so that was that was kind of the story of of Remy's birth
0: did did it have any impact on two things that come to mind your um bonding experience because you talked about with Mila's first feeling really numb and disconnected when she was put on to your chest, you said you felt nothing, um, which is a super common response to a, a traumatic birth experience. So A, I'm interested to know if that bonding felt different, if those first moments with uh with Remy felt different um to with Mila. Um, and also about the breastfeeding journey, whether that was any different too. Um yes, yes and yes. So
1: uh, it did feel it did feel really different. And I don't know whether that was because I I actually saw him kind of come out of me and then he was, you know, within kind of a couple of minutes up on my chest and he didn't leave my side. You know, that he was still kind of on my leg during those um checks. Um, because when Mila was born, the curtain was right up. I was really kind of in a daze and a bit kind of out of it and then she kind of went over to the table and then to my husband and then you know I didn't see her for kind of an hour or so kind of afterwards um and with Remy yeah he was he was there I saw him I you know he kind of came up on me straight away and it did it did feel different um I think I was in a different headspace I was more awake and alert this time um and yeah i I felt in control. I felt like this was my process. I felt like I had birthed him, not like a team of professionals had had birthed him, which is kind of how it um, how it felt with Mila. So yeah, it did. The bonding was different. I I don't think I probably got that full rush of hormones that I I would have got, you know, had I kind of had a natural kind of vaginal delivery. But I did yeah I felt like he was mine I felt like this is my baby I still I I got a few warm kind of fuzzies which was yeah really different um to Mila and the breastfeeding yeah that was so much better there was um I mean obviously he was a different child with a different latch and a different kind of suckle but um I felt more confident I kind of knew how it was meant to feel and not feel when he was latched on properly. Um, and yeah, there was no kind of damage. I I think I probably was a little bit apprehensive at first just because of how those first few days went with her. But as soon as he was on and taking milk, it was like, whew, no, okay, we got this. This is fine. Um, and we've had a really beautiful breastfeeding journey. I've only just in the last six weeks he's weaned and he's, you know, nearly two and a half. And that was um yeah, a bit of a, a joint decision. He was kind of pulling away a little bit and I kind of felt like, yeah, I was ready. But it was actually still quite um still quite a sad process to end actually because it had been a fight right from from Mila and something that I wanted to do and enjoyed kind of in the end.
0: So um yeah. Mm. Oh, thank you for sharing. What? How did that birth experience leave you feeling? How? Uh, uh, how would you describe um, Remy's birth given it didn't go? It wasn't definitely it was far from your ideal birth. Um, so yeah, how would you describe it? What adjectives would you use?
1: Remy's birth was, yeah, it was wonderful. It was healing. And yeah, I didn't get the home birth or the vaginal birth that I was hoping, Um, but it was still a really healing process. And it was was healing because I felt supported and I felt listened to and I felt in control. Um, And I really feel like things kind of aligned for our family that day because having the obstetrician that we did made the whole experience possible and I'm actually forever grateful to her um, for listening to me and for not dismissing our plan and for being very willing and open to kind of change the usual protocol because that's kind of not how things are done up there, and she was a reasonably um, young obstetrician as well. There would have been many more senior um, and experienced obstetricians kind of in that in that team, and she didn't hesitate. Like as soon as we met her, and I said, "Hey, like I really want to do all these things," she's like, "Yeah, cool, yep, we can we can make that happen." Um, and afterwards, like in the the, the day kind of after when they come through and do their rounds, um, she said to me that she had never been asked for any of those things before and that she was going to reflect in her own practice as to how she could kind of offer these to other women. And that just makes me so, so happy knowing um, that I might have had a small part in creating difference up there and um creating more kind of empowering options for future cesarean mamas I guess and um
0: yeah absolutely yeah yeah I love that reflection uh yeah and and I I imagine that as part of what drew you into doing the healing birth practitioner training as well. So kind of my next question to you was what did you learn about yourself through that journey and how how did it change you? What yeah, what what path has it led you down? Um
1: yes, you are right. It did, I think having had both of the experiences that I had kind of drew me um to your training and yeah, I think I am changed because becoming a mother changes you anyway, but when you go through a really shitty birth and um I guess then suffer from that for you know for for years and then um have another birth and heal from it, it just it opens you up in all aspects of your world as to like you know, things can get better, things can change, you have the power kind of within you, you have the resources and the strength um to yeah, to overcome to overcome that stuff. And it doesn't have to define you and it doesn't have to sit with you as a ne- negative experience forever. I I can look back at Mila's birth experience now and be thankful for it. Um yeah, it didn't play out how I wanted, but it um it kind of led me led me here to to this and to then you know hopefully be doing this work and to be able to um help other women in in their journey with with healing and so i'm I'm grateful for the experiences um that that I've had and to be able to have that second to be able to have Remy's birth um also kind of not go the way that I'd planned but but for it to turn into this really um empowering and healing experience is um yeah something that I think about all the time and I'm yeah I am grateful for for this and um I think it has even changed my parenting style and my my kind of identity as a as a mother even um just sitting in a different space now and not having these uh guilt kind of waves come over me now and then of like you know it was my fault or you know I could have done better my body let me down all that um kind of negative self-talk that I that I used to do often um and yeah I've Kind of come full circle in my in my birthing healing journey. I think so.
0: Amazing, and that has such such incredibly important and powerful impacts on your children, right? Like as well, and on probably on your relationship with your man, and um and how you talk about birth with other people. And so the ripple effects just can't be under understated. You know, um, it's it's yeah, we do have these um, wildly unhelpful narratives around birth and birth trauma and, and that that are out there. And for you to have gone on that journey and learnt to unpack all that and to see things in such a different light in such a more empowering and whole and healed light um, is yeah it's it's just it's awesome and so uh, you know I I love that you've gone on to do the healing birth practitioner training and that you are feeling now equipped to go out there and um and help others go on you know on this journey for themselves um is there anything you want to share about your experience of of doing that training um
1: yeah well I guess kind of putting it out there to to other women that if they even just have an inkling of being feel feeling like they're called to kind of do this training just do it like you will not regret it even if it's not something that you want to kind of pursue um in terms of going out there and, and providing that support to other women i think uh for me it not only kind of let me um heal further and to understand kind of more in depth about what happened and why it happened um in in my births but now for me to have um all this knowledge and these tools to be able to help other women um you know uh start their healing from traumatic births and then to hopefully plan for future healing births um is just such important work and for me, I know that I was meant to be here. This is the path that I was meant to be on. This is my next kind of chapter and journey, and maybe it could be yours too. Um, so, if you have been kind of coming back to the idea of doing this training, it's it's so worthwhile in that kind of in the personal and that kind of professional kind of aspect um, mm. as well.
0: Mm, yeah, and I do have people come through the training that don't have any intention of going out there and offering one-to-one, you know, unravelling your trauma sessions with with people. It, it is about a, a self-journey um, and wanting to find that healing for themselves. And for others, it's because they're working in a role, um, whether that's as a midwife or a, a doula or, a, you know, a childbirth educator. Um working in the field of birth and they want to just incorporate these understandings and these learnings, these tools into their current role rather than provide this as a sort of separate service. So I get all sorts of people, um, come through the training. I, I didn't put this down as, as a question, so I hope I'm not throwing you here, um, (laughs) Kate, but, um, But one of the things I loved uh, witnessing with you being on the course was just this, like, all these light bulb moments for you. You know, you'd come to these Thursday sessions just so fired up. Like, how can this be? Like, you know, we are told, we we grow up with such a, like, so much conditioning, Around birth, around medicine, around authority figures, around compliance, and and all this sort of stuff. And as we, you know, unpack that more and more in the course, you were like, <laughs> it's, you know, this is so wrong. How can you know? Like, how how can it be that we are taught to put so much trust into medicine and get so much of what's going on out there? is goes against the evidence, you know, it's not evidence based, and it's causing all this trauma and nobody's doing anything about it. And yeah, and I just I loved seeing you get so fired up and just, you know, really seeing things as they as they were. Um, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that or (laughs) if you want to dispute that even but that was my (laughs) how I uh, how what I witnessed um, and having you on the course. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: you're you're right I did um find this deep or this like hidden uh fire in my belly I guess around um yeah I don't know like even just the injustices in the whole birth space um and that we're not kind of taught or told about all the stuff that could have such a big impact on on our on our birth um and why aren't we told this? Like, why are we not presented with all of the information um, around, you know, if we choose this option, then these are potential outcomes. And if we don't choose this option, then what might happen? It's kind of like, yeah, we're very much just told this is the option. Go with it and trust us. And, you know, when we do that and then we have, you um, I guess, a, ne- a negative experience or a bad kind of outcome. And then we start questioning, well, why did I do that? Why did I take this option? Like, could I have done something different? Um, yeah, it just makes you look at the whole um, the whole birth space and think, why aren't we presenting women and families with uh, all of the information? So then they can make better decisions. Um, and yeah, I did I am fired up about that because I just feel like we um, yeah, we have lacked uh, kind of trust in our bodies and in ourselves and in this innate kind of intuition as as mothers as um, you know birthing people that um, yeah, it's lost but we have all of that in there and I think a lot of women would, Um, kind of resonate with those thoughts of like oh that gut feeling like I knew I shouldn't have done this or I wish I'd listened to my inner voice or to myself before making these decisions and actually those voices and feelings um, are there for a reason and we kind of dismiss them and think that other people know better know our bodies better know our situation and um, a lot of the time they don't like I know they have they do have our best interests at heart but do they really have all the information to give us themselves are they really equipped with with all of the knowledge um and no I don't think they are and they don't know what's best for us like we are the experts on ourselves on our bodies on our babies and um I think yeah we've lost the um yeah, lost the abilities to tune into that like we used to and to listen to ourselves. And I think, um, yeah, that's why I'm fired up about it and why I um, just have loved learning and absorbing all the information on the course and kind of understanding um, the physiology of birth and the history of birth. And, um, yeah, just kind of going back and trusting and embracing um, ourselves and our bodies more is what we should be kind of leaning into so
0: just quickly my healing birth practitioner training course is a 10-week program for birth passionate people who are ready to develop the knowledge skills and tools to confidently and competently guide women to heal after a traumatic birth experience my aim is to share with my trainees all the knowledge and skills I've acquired and tools and resources I've developed over the nine years that I've been serving the birthing community as a healing birth practitioner. My aim is that when you complete your certification you are fully prepped to integrate this work into your current role or to offer this as another string to your bow of birth work. No longer will you feel helpless and hopeless when faced with the fallout of the over and disempowering birthing culture that is currently at play you get to be a part of the vital birthing revolution that is seeing women take their power back in birth. Such incredibly important work. Each week there's a pre-recorded lesson to watch with a workbook to fill in as you learn and a juicy group interactive Zoom session where we discuss all the reflections, questions and experiences that are relevant to the week's lesson. The course ends with you holding your own Unraveling Your Trauma Client session and receiving feedback from them. Always a buzzy and encouraging time. Course completion will see you becoming a certified Healing Birth Practitioner. You'll receive a certificate, a digital badge to use on your website, brochures, and in your social media. And you'll be added to the directory of Healing Birth Practitioners on my website. You'll also receive a copy of my book, Where the Heart Is, Stories of Home Birth in New Zealand. The next training is starting in one week. If, like Kate, you feel cool to do this work, check out the link in the show notes or get in touch with me today. I'd love to have you train with me. If if anybody's listening to this and like, ooh, I want to work with Kate. <laughs> like one of the things I, I love about you having done this course is that you, you have the social worker background, you have an inroads into here in New Zealand, um, you know, your you can be on ACC books for people who have had a maternal birth injury claim accepted. And part of that is, um, is getting support around the, you know, mental, mental health healing kind of stuff. Uh, So people, will be able to if they're not already I'm not sure where you're at um, in terms of that process but we'll be able to access um, these healing birth sessions with you potentially free of charge by if they've had an ACC claim um, accepted or there may be other routes that you want to talk about but this is one of my hopes and dreams is that this Um, you know this kind of uh, birth trauma healing work is made more and more accessible Um, so a that's about training up people to feel confident and competent to be able to provide this sort of support but b also having you know a range of options around there uh, about how people can access um, support so I don't know if there's anything you want to share about that but also if listeners are hearing you speak and want to get in touch like how can they do that Yes, um,
1: so honestly, promoting myself and doing the social media stuff isn't a strength of mine, but it's my it's my goal and my intention this year um, to get better in that kind of self-promotion space, because if people don't know I'm here providing this work, then I can't help them and those people can't heal. So I've got to get out there and kind of put my big girl pants on and like do some social media stuff so people can find me um, so that is kind of currently work in progress but for right now uh, you can contact me on email and on, on you know via phone um, so I'll give those details to, kind of, to Carla and then you can probably link
0: them somewhere Yep, um, I'll, put them at, I'll put them at the bottom of the show notes and also for all of my certified healing birth practitioners so people who have completed the training like yourself um there is a if you go to the about section on my website um and scroll down there's our team and our team is a list of all of the people who have come through the training have completed their certification and it has ways to contact them there as well. So those will be if you yeah, either access the show notes or jump onto my website, you should be able to find Kate <laughs> and a way of reaching her until she pulls on her big girl undies and um, makes herself a, a social media page.
1: Yes, yes, it's my it's my one month plan to do by the end of end of February, I'll be active online i guess um but yes i am also trying to i'm in the process it's a bit of a lengthy process of um yeah a couple of avenues of uh funding i guess for for doing this work so i'm based in taranaki so there's a um a local kind of uh, health scheme here, which I'm yeah just working through at the moment, which will hopefully uh, open up an avenue. Um, I mean, there will be some criteria to kind of um, meet, but as a as a pathway to get some funding to to come and have these sessions, and yeah, hopefully through um, ACC as well. So that's that's exciting because um, yeah, having a barrier to access, you know, having money as a barrier. Um, for women to access this is something that would be wonderful to kind of over overcome. So this could be um, could be a pathway forward for that, which would be great.
0: Awesome. And uh, so ACC, obviously, people could work with you from anywhere because most of most of us do this work um, online via Zoom. What about this uh, local kind of um, health scheme that you're talking about in Taranaki? There would it have to? Would, you, would people have to be local to be able to? Access that, or is that potentially something they could do from afar? Uh,
1: no, that one is just for um, people registered with GPs in in Taranaki. So that one, I mean, I could still do the work uh, online, but I think for them to access it, um, yeah, it's a local uh, a local scheme. Um, but the ACC one, yes, you're right, that can be easily done um, across the country. So. Uh, as soon as I am kind of up and running with those providers, I'll uh I'll come back with to you so then you can kind mm. of maybe link,
0: link Yeah, that I, in there.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I will update the um my web page with, with new details that come through, um like you know, in your in the our team section. Um but also I can um edit the show notes as well to add in that information. So just keep us posted. And then if the listeners are listening to this down the track, um, uh, yeah, they'll be able to access that information. Um, awesome, we're just, about, we're just about there, Kate. You've been amazing. Uh, <laughs> I wanna ask you my final question that I like to put to um, a lot of my interviewees, which is if you could go back to the pre-motherhood version of yourself and share one piece of wisdom with her, would it be
1: um I think that would have to be like trust trust your intuition trust yourself trust your abilities um because I think when I reflect back now if I if I had have been in a place in a space and had the information and knowledge to do that then things may have been things may have been really different. Um, you know, we probably would have found a home birthing midwife and um, this could have, you know, set us on a different a different path. Um, and, yeah, I think I said before, like, I'm okay with where things went. I'm okay now that I've been able to heal from these experiences. Um, and that's all part of my journey. And... It's now led me into this birth healing space, um, which I'm so grateful for. So, um, you know, I think yeah, if we can lean into those kind of that inner wisdom that we that we have in there, and and trust ourselves and our capabilities, I think that's probably what I would have loved to have just shaken my pre uh, motherhood version of my of myself because um, we're stronger than we give ourselves credit for and we have these profound kind of abilities and strengths um, but they get overrun by all the stuff so yeah
0: yeah thank you ah oh, beautiful i've i've i'm so grateful that you shared the story i have been wanting to get somebody on the podcast at some stage who had that experience of having um a completely different birth to what their dream birth would have looked like in terms of their and um, their second birth experience after a traumatic first birth. Um and yet come out the other side of it going, that was healing, that was empowering, that was because I'd done this work, because um it- yeah, because birth doesn't doesn't always go down the path that we'd hope and dream. It'll, you know, there are always, uh, I mean, it's one of the beauties of birth really is all the unknowns and that we have to just surrender to the fact that so much is unknown and, and our journey is going to be what it's going to be. And we can do all the work it doesn't mean that our birth is going to be that um, look like what we had desperately hoped for Um but there are things, absolutely there are things we can do to ensure that no matter how our birth unfolds, that we feel supported, that we feel empowered, that we feel respected and um, and that we trust ourselves. Uh, you know, like learning to trust ourselves is a learning process because it's not something we, we're taught about when we're growing up in, in this culture and the society. Um, and, and that's part of as you know the work that we do as healing birth practitioners is helping people you know giving offering them some tools around how they can um learn to trust themselves to listen to their intuition to learn to trust their bodies by understanding a bit of physiology and understanding you know the impacts of fear on on that physiology that sort of thing so um so yeah I'm so grateful that you have come on and shared this story. Uh, I know it will be a really, really important listen for a lot of people out there. Um, And yeah, I think if there's one thing you can um, take away, listeners, um, if you've had a a previous um, cesarean birth or a previous traumatic birth, um, that in your planning for your next birth, you know, look at the what ifs scenarios that are kind of ticking over in your mind and make a plan. talk about these with your team. let them know what would support you to feel safe should your birth go down down that that path again, you know um and and yeah, that that provides a lot of um, yeah, safety around you know if things do go a little off course um then or those what if scenarios do end up sort of playing out then it's like good i still i feel you know sure like there's going to be fear there's going to be disappointment and that sort of thing but if your team knows what's important to you and this is something you've put some energy and thought into and planning around then it can be still be a really um healing positive empowering experience yeah all right thank you kate for being here thanks for sharing your story with us thank you for doing this work um yeah you're epic thank you for having me and you are epic (laughs) (laughs) awesome so I know you're probably wondering where the podcast music is that chimes in at the end of the episode. Turns out, out Kate and I continued nattering after we'd quote unquote finished the interview. I had a pressing question that I wanted to ask her and thankfully I hadn't yet hit the stop recording button. Hey, yeah. I, have, I have a question. Um, yeah. When you'd shared about your birth story, on our Thursday chat something you said was I just know that if I could go back and have that birth now that I would have been able I know that I could birth it I have a you know or yeah. have another baby I just know that I could do it what what has been the shift between I guess the time that you uh you know you were birthing Remy and um and you were like, no, I need a Caesarean, um, that's what I want to do, and that's, that's how we, you know that's, mm. that's what we're gonna do. To if I had the knowledge then that I have now, it would have gone differently. What what was the shift? What was that knowledge or um yeah? Um, I think
1: a few things. Um I think I let, I let the fear come in and kind of take over again when his kind of scenario was looking identical to hers. Like we kind of were almost, you know, labouring for days, like very little kind of dilation, but the the um, you know the contractions were fast, they were painful, that like, you know, like all of this stuff, um, and yeah, I think I just was like, yeah, the the fear definitely came in again um, then, um, which I don't think it would now, because the the whole thing with Mila was like, oh, her heart rate has dropped, and um, she's going to die, but actually, she came out, and she was like, 10 out of 10, you know, like, she wasn't distressed, and knowing now about the, you know, uh, the pressure on the head like of course the heart rate drops because you're working so you know your muscles are kind of working so hard um and that whole thing around like yeah like the they were both quite big babies and yeah I am kind of on the smaller side but is my body gonna grow babies that I can't birth like my mum had three natural births like there's not I you know I don't think it's not in my kind of genes or my like family line to need need a cesarean. Um there was nothing wrong. I didn't have any kind of medical conditions in terms of like physically not being able to to birth these babies. Um, and I think I had this thing in my mind about um you can't just keep laboring and laboring. Like someone will just end up dying. But I was actually coping okay, like, yeah, it was painful, but it was okay, like, I was breathing through it, I had, like, mindfulness techniques, and I was using them, but I think prior to now, having, yeah, having that knowledge around, like, trusting myself, and trusting the process, and not having time frames on things, um, because if I could, have just got back into bed and maybe rested a bit and just not worried about like, you know, why isn't he coming? Why am I only two centimeters? Like, in another three or four hours, I could have been nine centimeters. Like, maybe I would you know, like maybe I was just one of those women who had very long third stage labor. And then things would have gone into place. Like, you know, and I think I would have. I would trust myself now and trust the process, trust the baby, trust my body that I was just going to do this. Like, um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's like. Yeah,
0: that makes good sense. That makes good sense. I mean, a lot of, we do talk about that in the training, right, of um, part of that talking about physiology and the impacts of various interventions. And we talk about those, the, Physiological dips in the fetal heart that are a, a, a natural, normal, expected part of um, what happens to babies when they are super low. When you're when you are nearing the end of you know at the, at the um, before they're born, um, and that that's often pounced on as baby is distressed. We need to get the baby born quickly um which was a scenario for you and how many and i share this on the course right how many times have i heard now having worked with hundreds of families who have experienced traumatic birth how many times have i heard the scenario of baby had to that uh, baby the baby got distressed um and so had to have an emergency cesarean um and and so in what what sort of condition was the baby in when it was born or what were its apgar scores and oh no baby was fine baby came out screaming you know apgars of nine and <laughs> nine or ten and it's like well then your baby was not distressed you yeah. know they jumped the gun they got scared by what is normal physiology normal depths in the fetal heart and it's one of the reasons why you know, CTG, um, you know, that continuous fetal monitoring, um, yeah. doesn't improve outcomes and it increases rates of intervention in cesarean. Um, but also, also, Kate, like, I think, you know, what, like, what I'm hearing is that in doing the training, you really, really got a full appreciation for an understanding of how we of course we we are designed to do this thing and we can really sink into trust around that and in the absence Mm -hmm. of um you know the baby genuinely getting distressed or you like literally running out of capacity energy or you know there's something being sort of physically stopping you from being able to um to birth your baby like you know, of course it's going to happen. Um yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and just that having that degree of trust, then stops the, um a lot of that fear that is getting in the way of you being able to, you know, birth how you're designed to birth as well. So, um, so yeah, like, I appreciated that, that explanation because it was it it had stuck with me ah what is this um what what shifted for you that you know um by the end of the course you were going like yep i i think you know i don't it wasn't i think you said i don't doubt that i would have been able to um yeah birth vaginally yeah
1: Yeah. i think yeah and i think like the and like i read a Uh, article or listen to something recently like from Rachel Reed, like talking about these like you know parameters of like normal everything you know like it's when you think about it in other terms like people are all different shapes and sizes we move differently we have to like everyone is so unique so why would we put such kind of constraints around what women are meant to do and what babies are meant to do and how they're meant to birth and like if it's been 3 days it's been 3 days but if everyone's coping it doesn't mean we need to like intervene and like get you hooked up to make it go faster just like it's just going how it's going like leave me be kind of you know but yeah it had been long and but like maybe that's just my normal maybe you mm-hmm. know and like yeah my babies were big but that's fine i just have big babies it doesn't mean they weren't going to come out you know like but yeah other people's stuff and you're like very impressionable kind of at that time and Mm. in that space I was you know um yeah I'm like a whole different person now (laughs) like you know I just yeah it would be um yeah it would be different and but yeah Mm. Hmm. do you
0: feel do you feel sad that you're not going to have that opportunity to birth again to experience Yeah, that? I I do, but
1: I think it's 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 balanced because I only want to I have only have a desire to give birth again. I don't have any desire to kind of be pregnant again. I didn't that part of the journey like that wasn't very enjoyable for me and and I don't, we don't want to have another child. It's just the the birthing piece that I just like, I just want to do that for myself because I know I can. And I'd love to have the sensation of catching my baby and giving birth vaginally and then having those um, hormones, the, you know, all of that stuff happen in a physiological way. Like I feel like I miss out on that, and I, I want that, um, but I don't feel like, yeah, I'm, I don't feel like I'm missing out because I don't have, I don't want to have a third child, so that, you know, it's just something that I'm just not going to get to experience, but, you know, I did birth two babies still, and they were, you know, yeah. beautiful and wonderful and complete my life, Um, and, yeah, I guess I get... um. Some of those, um, you know, like good feelings around maybe like helping other women now to have this experience who they wouldn't have been able to had they have not learnt this stuff or you know come to see me or planned for a healing birth or mm-hmm. um, yeah, just other women in my life that maybe I can pass some knowledge onto so that then their minds are a little bit more open and they might make some different decisions about them you know about their birth so um yeah it's sad and happy you know kind of mixed all mixed together but
0: yeah yeah Yeah. if you enjoyed that episode please spread the love by sharing this podcast with others and ensuring you subscribe and hit that five star review and if you'd like to connect with me you can get hold of me via instagram at healing.birth and through my website, healingbirth.co.nz. I would love to hear from you, whether that's so you can share feedback or suggestions, or because you're potentially interested in healing with me, or training with me to become a Healing Birth Practitioner. Let's do it. Aroha nui, you beautiful people.